The Bible says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. What did God do? Well, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman. Yes. Well said. Points for you today. Everyone else, total missed opportunity, okay? And he brought her to the man, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your word. And God, we pray today that you would help us to just reframe the way that we see singleness and the way that we see marriage. Father, that you would show us the way that you see it. And God, we would align our hearts to your hearts. We pray, Father, please, just a rich blessing of your Holy Spirit upon every single person in this room and online. And God, we pray for a mighty work in all of the marriages represented today in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can have a seat. Now, now, you can, you can be seated. Hey, there is something called the Rorschach inkblot test, and psychologists use this test to learn things about uh, their clients. Let me show you how this works. Basically, it's just a, a picture on a piece of paper, um, and the idea is this. Based on what the individual sees, uh, a, a psychologist can learn about the very complex algorithms that are at work within their client. Um, they can learn about personality tendencies and dispositions and inclinations. Uh, sometimes uh, they can learn about uh, issues maybe that were in the past of their clients. Whether you believe this or not, this is kind of the process that they work through. It's a test. And so, um, so they'll put that image on a piece of paper and they'll hold it up to their client. And they'll say, well, what do you see? Well, what do you see? This is a test. No, I'm just kidding. It's not a test. So there are three things that people see. They see, some people see a bat. No. Yeah, some of you are like, no, no way. Some people see a butterfly. Yeah, all right. Some people see a moth. Does anybody see something different than that? Oh, look at all you people. What? Tell me what. Elvis? Oh. <laughs> He said pelvis, and I thought Elvis. We are totally in Vegas. We are so in Vegas. All right, now I, I don't want to waste a bunch of time here because, you know, everyone sees something. But a lady said to me after the service that she saw an angel with hands raised. And I thought, man, isn't, isn't that awesome? Yeah, yeah, you can give her a hand, and I'll tell her that you did later. But listen, you know, I think that you can move on from this image. I think that uh, we learn a lot just from initial reaction, you know, the initial reaction that we have to specific things. Sometimes it's the very first word that comes to our mind that says really a lot about the way we see something. So I'm going to do a little test today. This is a real test, and I'm going to mention two terms to you, and I want you to just say out loud, all right, this is participatory. I want you to say out loud the very first thing that comes to your mind when I mention these two terms. Okay, are you ready? Okay, term number one. Here we go. Here we go. Ready? 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 Marriage. What did you say? You don't want to say out loud, do you? Jason, what'd you say? What? Oh, wow. Check that out. No one said that at the first service, all right? All right, we got love, we got some other things. I heard a bunch of mumbling, you know, when you guys talk at once, it just sounds like gibberish to me up here. Um, let me try this one. Okay, here, are you ready for this one? Single. 
You guys are crazy. You're crazy. All right, listen, it says a lot. It says a lot. And I think sometimes, like, our view of singleness or marriage is, is expressed by the first thing that comes to our mind. Now, the truth is this. When we think about singleness and marriage, a lot of us, we don't necessarily see things the way the Bible sees them. Sometimes you know uh, that we, we can see things in a worldly way. Um, and I'm not saying to you today that the way the world views singleness and marriage is all bad, but I will say to you today that it is rarely biblical. When you talk about marriage or singleness in a secular or worldly setting, oftentimes you will not get, or it will be rare for you to get a really solid biblical perspective. And if we're honest today, um, you know, the case is for us oftentimes that we just adopt that view into our own lives. You know, even as Christians, we can have a, a very worldly mindset when it comes to singleness or marriage. Uh, maybe that mindset's not just something that we're getting from media or from the workplace. Maybe it's something that we've grown up with and we just don't realize that it's worldly because it's always been with us. It's just the way that we've viewed things. So sometimes, you know, we have that paradigm that the world places on us and we see singleness in marriage through that paradigm. Well, today, um, I am praying, and I do believe it's God's desire, to give us a paradigm shift, you know, for us to really reframe the way that we see singleness in marriage. And let me just add to what I've already said. It may not even necessarily be that we have a totally worldly mindset on these things, but I will guarantee you there is always room for us to grow. There are always things that God, in our lives, that God can show us uh, that really are worldly ways of seeing things that He wants to reframe in our lives. And so I think His question for us today is this, do you see what I see? When it comes to singleness and marriage, God's question for us today is this, do you see what I see? Now, let me just say this, you know, with respect to those two things, everyone's journey is different. Everybody's journey is different, even with Adam and Eve. When you, when you look at their lives, and I think a lot of times what happens in the Christian world is we take Adam and we take Eve, and we try to just develop our complete comprehensive understanding of singleness and marriage from these two individuals. But I just want to remind you about how different their journey was. I mean, Adam was born, he was single, and he was married all within one day, all right? All within one day. Like, anybody here have that experience? No, I didn't, I didn't think so. Now, I, you could argue with me and say, well, was a day a day? And, you know, just go away. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, it all, it all happened to him in the moment. None of us have that experience. Or if you think about Eve, Eve was the only person who ever lived that was always married. She was never single. And she has a very, very unique experience that none of us can say that we've had. And so I'm saying to you, all of our journeys, they will look a little different, but there are solid biblical principles that we glean when we consider the whole comprehensive view of the scripture. Because the truth is this, God made singleness and God made marriage, and so he is the one who knows how we ought to live in a way that pleases him and ultimately is a blessing to ourselves. Seeing it God's way comes when we know and live his word. So today what we're going to do is we're going to take a little bit of a journey in that. Um, I want to remind you, you know, we've talked about the fall, we've talked about the impact of the fall some people, you know, like I've said this already, but I just want to reemphasize this point. Some people, when they talk about singleness or marriage, you know, they just look back to the book of Genesis and they, you know, give the kind of idea that, hey, God restored it to that, but the restoration that God did was so much more. God does not just restore what was lost at the fall. He makes it better through Christ, right? So we're going to be able to experience all that God has for us, yes, because he did restore Imago Dei, but even more so because we have Christ in our life. The last thing I want to say before I get into the nuts and bolts is this is not your standard sermon, all right? Standard sermon, nice little story, some illustrations, you know, teaching from God's Word, um, some points of application. God willing, never sermon light here at Calvary Chapel, Las Vegas, because we're not into sermon light. Um, this is not a sermon. This is a workshop today. Thank you for coming to church. 
today, today is a workshop. Do you know what that means? Yeah, that means work is involved. Okay, so it's not just a matter of you sitting and listening and taking it in and then talking about later whether you liked it or not or whether it was funny or not or, or whatever. I'm giving you, I've done some work and now I'm handing some things off to you so that you can do some work as well, all right? If you're single today, how many single people do we have? Raise your hand. All right, yeah, check it out, all right. There is the, there is the hookup on Sunday morning right there, okay? <laughs> Except for the people in the church that think marriage is eh. <laughs> I've, got, I've got four things for you if you're single today that you're going to be able to really work on and apply in your life. And if you're married today, raise your hand. Let me see. Interesting how, interesting. No, 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 stop. Just stop. Interesting how it was silence, right? And, and are you married, bro? Are you married? Yeah. No. He's the only one who clapped, all right? We had no married people hooting and hollering, no married people clapping today, all right? So I just, I've got a lot to work with this morning. I've got a, I got a, lot, a lot of work to do. Uh, married people, you're going to have eight things, all right? Eight things because you need twice the help, all right? You have eight things. So... And a lot of these principles, like don't, don't tune out. If you're, if you're married, don't tune out during the singleness part because it's important. And if you're single, don't tune out in the married part because if it's the will of God, you may be married one day and you want to be ready. So, so here we go. See your singleness like God does, all right? Number one is this. If you're single, your identity isn't in a status, it's in a person and his name is Jesus, if you're single, your identity is not in a status, whether you're married or not married. It's in a person, and his name is Jesus. You know, there are stereotypes that are at work even within the church, even among Christians. And it was an interesting thing for me to study um, and, you know, to consider because some of these stereotypes exist, and I honestly don't even realize that they do exist. A popular website on singleness said this, there's an unspoken stereotype about singleness that lurks in Christian circles. It's the idea that singleness is a temporary inconvenience to be endured until you reach your destiny as a married person, right? In other words, like just get through this difficult time. This is totally miserable. This is the season of suffering in your life. And when you get married, all of that suffering and difficulty and misery will go away. Now the married people are laughing. It's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting. But you guys know that that's false. And I, I could give you a hundred reasons today, but I want you to consider some of the single people in Scripture who were able to 100% fulfill the purpose of God, the plan of God for their lives, obviously starting with Jesus. But I think about the life of the Apostle Paul, or you think of Mary of Magdala, or you think about Martha and what God, the amazing things that God did through her life, or John the baptizer, you know, was a single individual. In fact, it's interesting to consider that he was martyred for the sanctity of marriage. But these individuals, you know, you would not look at a single one of these single individuals and say that they did not fulfill the purpose of God for their lives. This was singleness for them was not just this time or this period of suffering to endure until the fullness of all that God desired was brought into their life through a spouse. When it comes to the will of God for you, marriage isn't better or worse, it's just different. It's just different. It happens to be the purpose of God for you in the moment. You're single right now because God has intended that. Or you're married right now because God has intended that. And I say all of that to say this. Sometimes, you know, in that place of being single, you are so desiring to be married. You are so waiting to be married. You're so, like, envious of those who are married that you, in fact, in that place of dissatisfaction... In that place, you are actually missing the purpose that God has for you in your present. You're wanting this thing to come, and you're thinking, well, when this thing comes, then I'll really be fulfilled, and I'll be able to do all that God desires me to do. And while you're thinking that, I'm just saying all of that to say this, while you're thinking that you're missing what He has for you today. And the truth is this, sometimes when you get married, 
Sometimes when that blessing does come, sometimes when that thing is fulfilled, if it's difficult, you start thinking, well, you know what, I wish I was single again. (laughs) Or I wish that this could be different. Or I wish that I'd married somebody else. And so listen, you can be married and completely miss the purpose of God for your life because you're so dissatisfied, you're waiting for something to change. And all of the while, God is saying, I want you to serve me now. Listen, focusing on spiritual identity, not marital status, leads to true purpose, and that's what you need to focus on today. If you are single in this place, you are complete in Christ because that is His will for you now. If you're married in this place, you are complete in Christ because the two have become one flesh and Christ sits at the center of your marriage. Your identity isn't in a status, it's in a person, His name is Jesus, The second thing I want to uh, encourage you to remember is this, single does not equal alone. Single does not equal alone. Sometimes it's, it's, it's the feeling that we have, right? It's that feeling that we have. We're lonely. We wake up and we wish we had someone to share our thoughts with. We go through our day and we wish that there was a loved one or someone really close to us, a spouse that we could get prayer from, that we could support. We come home and it's just us and we're alone and we're overwhelmed by our loneliness because we feel that we are on an island by ourselves. But the truth is this, if you're a Christian, you are never alone. Christ is with you. He is with you. And there's this miracle. There's this miracle that he wants you to experience in your life. Do you know what it's called? Do you know what it's called? This one word, do you know what it is? It's called contentment. It's called contentment. Ouch. It is an ugly word. It feels like a four-letter word, right? Because because contentment really is something that's miraculous. You know, when the Bible talks about the Christian life, it uses the word abound over and over and over again or multiplied. Those words come from a Greek word, pleureo, and it means that this thing has been filled up to the point where there's no space left. There's no emptiness, right? It's been filled to the place where it is filled to the brim and then it's filled more so that it's overflowing. The Bible, this is how the New Testament talks about your life now that you're in Christ. If you have Christ, you are missing nothing. Your life is abounding. You have blessings that are being multiplied. And the miracle that God wants you to experience is contentment in His Son, Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. I'm going to work backwards here. I want to start with verse 13 because, you know, we use this verse all the time. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How many of you guys have used that verse before? You've said it. Maybe some of you have it tattooed on your body and you don't even know the context of it. All right. Can I mess you up right now? Like... Because, you've, you know, you use it. You're an athlete, and it's like halftime, and you're tired, and you're losing, and you're like, Tim Tebow said this all the time. And so I'm going to say it too. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're going to get the victory. You know, or maybe you're using your spiritual gifts, or maybe there's a difficult moment in your life, and so I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong, but, but you use that verse in that context. But the context isn't just about an athletic competition. It's not about some particular struggle in your life. Paul is talking about something completely different. Paul's talking about learning to be content regardless of the circumstances in his life. Because, you know, oftentimes our contentment is all circumstance-based. Like we find ourselves in a place where, you know, maybe we don't articulate it like this to God word for word, but we live like this. It's like, oh, I'll be happy when. I'll be satisfied when. God, you know, I'll be good to go when, when you do this thing, when you bring this thing. And until then, you know, I'm I'm really not going to be satisfied or content. Well, Paul said this, he said, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, that is almost living in abject poverty with nothing. And I know how to abound, to have this life of material things that are overflowing everywhere and in all things I have learned. It's a process. It's a journey both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
Paul's like, listen, I've had those times where I've had absolutely nothing, and then I've had those times where I've had absolutely everything, and the lesson that I've learned is neither of those extremes matter. All that matters is that I focus on what I have in Christ, and he brings this supernatural contentment no matter what. You know, I think sometimes, and and Paul is humble enough to say this, right, that he learned this. It was a process in his life. It didn't just come naturally. It wasn't as if he was born again with this mindset. I think sometimes it's in the valley of aloneness that we learn contentment in our relationship with God. It's when we don't have anybody. It is when we're, when we're going to sleep and we, we wish we had that person and that person's not there. And so what do we choose to do? We choose to find our communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we... When I went to Bible college, I learned this lesson. I shared with you guys. I know it was a mind blower for you that I've not been married my whole life. There was a point of time when I was single. Um, It was a really long time ago. But, you know, I remember being single and having to learn this lesson. Uh, And I remember specifically in Bible college. Now, Bible college, the statement of Bible college was, a ring by spring or your money back. All right? So... Bible college was called bridal college because everyone went to find their, their spouse. Everyone went to hook up for their mate, you know, at Bible college. And I remember being in that spot where it was like, you know, I was, I was it was just me and the Lord. And having to come to that place in my life where I said to him, God, you know what? If this is the way it's going to be for the rest of my life, it's okay. It's okay because you're sufficient. You're enough. And if it's just you and me for the rest of this life, then that is good enough for me. In fact, it's more than enough. And you know, I do really think that prepared my heart to receive Rachel ultimately as my wife. It was, it, I'm not saying, thanks. She's definitely my better half. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying like, hey, when you get to that point where Jesus is enough, then God will bless you because then that will just become an idol to you. It's like, did I get there? Have I gotten there? Have I arrived? I'm just saying Jesus is more than enough for us. Uh, if you're single today, number three is this, choose what is right, not necessarily, choo- not necessarily what feels right. Choose what is right, not necessarily what feels right. I'm not anti-feeling, I'm not anti-emotion, we're not stoics at Calvary Chapel, Las Vegas, but you know sometimes your emotions will lead you down the wrong road. And sometimes you can have a really crummy attitude because you're focused on the things you shouldn't be focused on. You know, I have a friend whose ministry is called Life is an Attitude, and you know, oftentimes that's just true. Sometimes our attitude is just simply miserable, and it's because we're focused on the wrong thing. Change your attitude by changing your focus. Change your attitude by changing your focus. I want to give you some contrast today with respect to this that might help you if you're single. I want to encourage you today, focus on the opportunities, not the difficulties. Focus on the opportunity. You say, well, all I have are difficulties. No, you don't. You're single. You have time. Serve the Lord. Focus on contentment, not envy. Don't be so focused on how God is blessing other people that you yourself are just wanting what they want, and you can't even enjoy the blessings that God is giving others. Look, you've been invited to so many weddings. You've been part of the bridal party, but you've never been the bride. You've never been the groom. And so you're in that spot where it's like, why not me? Why not me? Why not now? And God's like, why not them? Why not be patient? Why not trust me? Why not find contentment? Choose patience. Focus on patience, not hurry. Listen, be patient. Don't be in a rush. Be patient, don't be in a rush. When you are in a rush, oftentimes, I would say nine times out of 10, you will bypass the will of God for your life. I think this is really hard when you know the biological clock is ticking and we wanna be married so bad. Now the uh, average age of marriage for a man is 28. That age is getting you know, further and further along. But you know, you can be 30, 32, 34, the clock is ticking. You used to have a list, right? This, this very comprehensive list, this profile of the perfect guy. You know, your knight in shining armor, handsome. I'm just saying, this is, this is not mine. This is, this is yours, okay? 
This is your illustration. Handsome, ambitious, competent, loves God, serves the Lord, is a leader. Like you got this list. Maybe you've got 30 or 40 points, but every year that goes by, you lose five points. Right, you started with 40, and then it went down to 35, and then 25, and then 15, and now you're down to one, right? Heartbeat. Heartbeat. Like, that's it. I just want someone who's alive. Don't be in a rush. Don't be in a rush, all right? Because God will bring that blessing when He is ready. Listen, focus on hope, not despair. Focus on hope, not despair. Remember that God has a plan for your life. God is now in charge. And when you are focused on hope and not despair, it leads you to trust, not anxiety. You're trusting the Lord. You're not all stressed out. I love the story of Joseph. And you, rem you remember Joseph. He was in Potiphar's house. And there was that moment, there was that time where Potiphar's wife was just after the young man, right? Potiphar himself was a eunuch, and so his wife could not be sexually satisfied. She saw this young guy, and of course, she thought in her mind, of course, he's going to take this opportunity. Why would he not? And so Joseph is there in the house. It's, you know, a secluded moment. It's a secluded moment. The only eyes that were on Joseph at that moment were the eyes of God. He could have done it and gotten away with it. And you know, like, please remember, he's a young man. The same hormones that were flowing through your life as a young man were flowing through Joseph's life. And so what does she do? It's not even as if she's coy about the situation. She goes after him to the place where she literally tears away his coat. But in that moment where he had the opportunity to step into temptation because he was focused on the right thing, you remember what he said. He said, how could I do this great evil against God and my master? Right? He was focused on the right thing. His heart was not overwhelmed with envy or despair. He wasn't living in a place of stress, wanting some need to be fulfilled. His focus was on the Lord. The fourth thing, if you're single today, is this. You need to handle it right. You need to handle it right because when you do, it will help it be right. So four quick things about doing it the right way. Number one, if you're single, focus on being the right person right now. Be the right person. What do I mean by that? I mean focus on your spiritual growth. Like if God has marriage for you down the road, this is the opportunity for you to develop yourself, to prepare yourself. And so dig into the things of God. Grow spiritually. Be engaged in things that matter to the Lord. Be the right person spiritually. Develop yourself in addition to that. Develop yourself emotionally. Learn how to have healthy relationships now. Because if you think relationships right now are difficult, just wait until you get married. <laughs> marriage, the marriage relationship is the greatest relational blessing, and it is also the greatest relational challenge. And so now you have the opportunity to prepare yourself spiritually, emotionally with respect to relationships. And the final thing on this piece is also just be responsible. Be responsible. You're 32 years old. You're living at home. Your parents are providing for you. You don't have a job. You're a slob. And you're wondering why no woman wants you? Hello. Like, do I need to fill in the blanks? Get a job. Be responsible. Be competent. No one wants to marry a loser. I can't believe I just said that, you know? But I'm just trying to help you today. I'm trying to help you today. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, God. I'm trying to, and don't you dare, don't you, don't you dare take advantage of some sister in the Lord that is filled with compassion and you're going to manipulate her through pity just to get her to, to date you, to somehow think that you're appealing, don't you dare do that because we will kick your butt if you do, all right? All right. Jeez, be the, right per be the right person, make the right choices. If you're going to start down the road of dating, listen, do it the right way. Do it the right way. There's a way to date that honors God. There's a way to date that does not honor God. If you're taking your dating cues from the world, I'll tell you right now, you're going to be in trouble. 
you're going to get yourself in trouble because the heart of God for this relationship is purity, is to honor him, is to glorify him. It's an opportunity for you to lay the groundwork that you really respect your brother or sister in the Lord. And the world, on the other hand, is going to say this, hey, you've got to try it all out. You got to try it all out. Like you don't want to go down the road of getting married and find yourself unsatisfied. And so, so you need to give everything a test drive, right? And, and typically the world is talking about the sexual relationship. It's like, well, you need to cohabitate for a while. That's what you need to do. You need to make sure you're compatible. And the only way you're going to find out is uh, if you're living together. You need to make sure that that person is going to satisfy you sexually because if you marry someone who doesn't, almost as if the sexual aspect of marriage is the most important part. It is important, but it is not the most important part. But the world views it that way. If you're going to go down the road of dating, I want to encourage you to get some good godly counsel. Spend some time with pastors here at the church so we can help you lay things out in a way that honor the Lord. The third thing on this one is marry the right one. Marry the right one. Wait for the one that God has for you. And then also make sure you have the right motivations. I really do believe this is true, that the advantage uh, goes to the singles. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 7, that he wished everyone was like him so they could give their full devotion to the things of God. So if you're single today, don't look at your singleness as if you're, you have something that's missing, like you're at a disadvantage. It's not true. There's a, an advantage for you to leverage for the kingdom. And I'll just tell you right now, we need your help. We need your help. You have good, solid, spiritual gifts that God wants to use here at Calvary Chapel, Las Vegas, all right? Singles, you're done. <laughs> you're excused. No, you're not. I'm just kidding. Pay attention. The second thing is this, uh, for, for married people, see your marriage like God does, all right? See your marriage like God does. Now, I don't have time to really talk about this in depth, but there's a lot of information, statistics about there, about how jacked up Christian marriages are and how, you know, the statistics as far as divorce goes for the church is the same as the world um, and the uh, divorce rate for people getting remarried is the same as the world. Th those statistics are false. And uh, Scott Harold from SOS, he uh, texted me a podcast he did with this lady. Her name is Shanti Feldon, and she has done all sorts of studies for Harvard. She's really well-versed in how to do a solid study. And as she has studied this, what she's realized is that the data that was compiled to produce those results that pastors often preached was false in the first place. And I just say that to give you hope. Like, the Bible gives us hope for healthy and happy marriages. God does come through on his promises if we choose to do it his way. <clears throat> so, number one is this. If you're married today, or if you're going to get married someday, place God's glory as your central purpose. Place God's glory as your central purpose. Marriages often fail because of undefined or improperly defined purpose. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with couples, and they'll come in, you know, I have a no mudslinging uh, rule when you meet with me. Um, but sometimes they'll come in and they'll be like, all these accusations, right? And I'll just stop them. I'll open up scripture and I'll say, hey, why don't you tell me what God's purpose for your marriage is? And eight times out of 10, they look at me with a, with a blank stare, right? Now, they might be a little nervous to, to say what they think in front of the pastor because they don't want to get it wrong. But the truth is this, there are very few Christian marriages where the couples have sat down, opened up the scripture, and said, what does God say our purpose is? Have you done that? What does God say our purpose is? Now, you might be today thinking, well, there are a lot of advantages. You know, there's a financial advantage. Two people uh, can have uh, two incomes that are supplying for a family. Or maybe your purpose has been companionship. You know, yeah, you sincerely don't like being alone. And so when you think about purpose for marriage, it's about to have that companion in your life. Or maybe you've just really desired to have kids. And so when you think of marriage, the key purpose that you come back to is that you want to have kids. You want to have a big family. All of those things are blessings, God willing, but they're not the purpose for marriage. The purpose for marriage is that your marriage brings glory to God. Look, if you get this right, I'm just saying, 
if you get this at center, if you really do center your marriage around the glory of God, everything else will fall into place. Everything else will fall into place. Paul, when he was talking about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, he said to uh, the church at Ephesus, he said, your marriage is the living illustration of the love of Jesus for his people. Like, I mean, I don't have time to drill down on this, but it's an amazing thing to consider that God has chosen one living illustration of the love of his son for his people. And that living illustration is the marriage relationship. It's loved and beloved, right? I'm saying to you today that when the world looks at our marriages, they ought to be connecting the dots between the way that Jesus loves his people and the way that we love our spouse. So place God as your central purpose. The second thing is this, disciple one another. Listen, disciple one another. I, I want to hit this hard, and I want you to hear me today. Um, you, if you're married, you should be the greatest influence for God in your spouse's life. <clears throat> I wasn't waiting for a clap, I'll just tell you. I just wanted it to set in for a minute, okay? Because I think that if we're honest, like this is probably something we really need to think through. You should be the greatest influence for God in your spouse's life. There are lots of people probably in your lives, right? You've got pastors, you've got church leaders, you've got friends, um, and all of those things are great. But those people, the internet, social media should not be the greatest spiritual influence in your spouse's life. You should be the greatest influence. Hey, we have goals for all sorts of things as couples, right? We have goals for retirement. We want to buy a second house or a first house. And so we plan and we have goals. We want to buy a car. We have professional development ideas. And so what do we do? Well, we work together on developing goals so that we can experience what it is that we want. Do you have spiritual goals? Do you have spiritual goals? Let me ask you a question. Do you even know what the spiritual gifts of your spouse are? Do you know what they are? Listen, how can you champion what God is doing in her life? How can you champion what God is doing in his life if you yourself don't even know how God has gifted your spouse? In this, I just really want you to think about this, all right? Develop solid and healthy spiritual disciplines. Be in the Word together. A consistent time in the Scripture. Make sure you're praying together. This sounds so trite. It was a bumper sticker, so I'm going to say it anyway. The marriage that prays together stays together. When's the last time you spent time, real time, praying with your spouse? Be generous to others in need. Choose a life of simplicity, not complexity. Make sure you have a day set aside, reserved, just to seek the Lord. You can call that a Sabbath. You can call it something else. I don't care. Make sure you prioritize the Lord. Dig into church community, the people of God. You know, it's easy, I think, on Sunday to come to hang out on the fringe and to be disconnected, but, but you know what Lauren said today was true? You need to really connect within the community of God's people because God has something to speak through your marriage to other marriages, and God wants to do the same thing with other marriages into your marriage. Get engaged. Not like, again, because you're already married, but... <laughs> Get engaged in the things of God. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord here at church. You know, serve the Lord in, in LV Reach. I don't even, I'm not even saying to you today that it has to be on this property. You guys, as married couples, should be serving the Lord. Disciple one another. The third thing is this, live, live self-sacrificially. Live self-sacrificially. Real love willingly sacrifices. We talked a couple of weeks ago about transactional love versus transformational love. And the transactional person's like, well, what's in it for me? What do I get from it? When have you sacrificed for me lately? That's a transactional person. The person who's walking in God's love is, what can I give to you? How can I lay my life down? What can I sacrifice for your benefit? Not for manipulation, not to get what you want, not so you can foist on that person some emotional blackmail. Don't you know what I do for you? Don't you know how I make all of these sacrifices? No, we don't do that because God doesn't do that to us. 
And so we live sacrificially. We give ourselves freely to our spouse, especially because this is the way the Lord has given himself to us. In fact, Ephesians 5.25 says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. The fourth thing is this, work towards healthy communication. How many of you are really, really good communicators? Raise your hand today. Oh, I'll say something about this in a minute. This is great. How many of you are absolutely miserable at communication? Raise your hand. Okay, I just want to encourage you. You just took a step of communication right there. You raised your hand and well done. Well done. It's funny to watch, you know, it's funny to watch people when I say how many of you are really good at communication and someone raises their hand. It's funny to watch the face of the spouse next to them, right? Because when I see the look of shock and awe, I ultimately know what's going on there. I want to give you six points, all right? Six points for solid communication. And I, I want you to write these down or I want you to memorize them and I want you to apply them later. Uh, number one is this, you need to make time. And I know that sounds almost so rhetorical, it seems stupid, but you have to make time to communicate. You have to make time to communicate. You know when you don't want to communicate with your spouse, you will create all sorts of reasons to be too busy. Right, hey babe, you know what? I wish I could come home, but I'm busy working. I've got to put in some extra hours. Or hey honey, you know what? I'd love to talk to you, but I've got this project that I'm working on in the garage, and you're just You're just you are my time's up, I guess. All right, let's let's close in prayer. You're just conveniently busy. Right? Know what you need to do in those times where you don't want to communicate, you need to press through the lack of desire, and you need to make time, you need to make space. And when you communicate, number two, you need to be clear. Be clear in your communication. Sometimes in the marriage relationship, you know things can get volatile. Anybody? 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 Sometimes you know you've got an issue, it's a hard issue, and you know you're, you're all emotional, and so when you sit down to communicate, it is just, you're just putting somebody on blast. Well, what you need to do is you need to pray you need to settle your heart before God. You need to let him prepare your heart so that when you do communicate, you can communicate clearly. When you communicate cl clearly, listen, the other person should be listening actively, right? Not just passive listening. Do you know the difference between active listening and pa passive listening? And when you're listening passively, you're like looking at the person and nodding your head. You have no idea what they just said, right? Some of you listen passively on Sunday morning. And, and I know by the blank stare on your face that even if you're nodding your head, you're not really paying attention. But you're not supposed to be listening passively like, oh, here she goes again, or here he goes again, and they're on their rant and blah, 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 right? That's all you hear is blah, blah, blah. No, you're paying attention and you're listening actively with the goal of understanding what it is that your spouse is trying to communicate. It's active listening. You're not listening thinking, how am I going to respond to this? How, you know, because sometimes that's the way it is, right? Your spouse is saying something and you're like, oh man, I'm going to level them. I'm going to level them with this response because ultimately at the end of the day, all you care about is being right. Hey, that's not the goal of communication in a healthy marriage. Listen actively, aim to understand, right? If something's not clear, ask meaningful questions, not to create conflict, but make it your intention to understand what it is that your spouse is saying and then validate true feelings. Like if your spouse is saying something that you know is absolutely true, don't act like it's not. I'm not saying to you today that you validate false feelings because don't validate false feelings. Don't validate anything that's contrary to the scripture. There's got to be enough maturity in your relationship to be able to address those issues. But when your spouse is saying something that you know is true, you need to validate it because if you don't, you will break down the trust relationship that really is what binds the fabric of your relationship together. She knows it's true. She knows you know that it's true. But because you don't want to be wrong, you're just going to deny it all day long. And what does that do? It lays the groundwork for her or for him not to trust you. And the final piece of this is aim for unity. Like when you're communicating to each other, 
the ultimate goal should be that you're unified. It's reconciliation. It's so you can fulfill what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. James 1.19 says this, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. A couple more real quick, all right? Be compassionate, not critical. Be compassionate, not critical. Don't let the small things become big things. I can't tell you how many times I'll sit down with a, a couple and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, their world is falling apart only to discover that they've allowed little tiny inconsequential issues of preference, little tiny inconsequential issues of preference, divide them, which is precisely what the devil wants. You know, things that at one point used to be a blessing and, you know, drew you to this person and you love this about them and you thank God, right? You thank God that they were this way and now a year down the road, five years down the road, 10 years down the road is the very thing because you're walking in the flesh is the very thing that gets on your nerves, Hey, make sure you're able to sort out, to tell the difference between the things that really matter and the things that really don't matter. Peter said it like this, husbands likewise dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. He's probably referring to a, a physical, the physical weakness, maybe sociologically more vulnerable. He goes on to say, and is being heirs together of the grace of life. Why? That your prayers may not be hindered, right? How many guys, raise your hand if you want God to answer your prayers. Raise your hand. Come on. All right. Now, let me ask you a question. Are, if you're married, are you dwelling with understanding with your, your, your wife? You're like, Pastor, I'm never going to understand her. All right. He's, he's, talk, he's talking about being compassionate. He's talking about being compassionate. He's talking about... He is talking about honoring the differences, right? He is talking about having that sensitivity, and I don't mean this in a misogynistic way, but he's, he's talking about leading in a way that you are sensitive to, to her, to the ways that she may be fragile, being tender with her. Because listen, if you're not, if there's a compassion that's missing in your marriage, if you're not making the effort to be understanding, don't go to God with your requests and expect God to answer them. Because God says back to you, hey, listen, you fix this, then I'll answer this. Now, you might be thinking today, you know what, where's God? I've got 10 prayer requests, and God hasn't answered any of them. Well, guess what? You've been being a jerk to your wife. You've been being a, a straight, uh, am I just being too honest today? You've been being a jerk to your wife, and God has said, fix this. Fix it first, because what happens at home matters, all right? Embrace biblical expectations. Listen, focus on living spiritual qualities, not just filling roles. Uh, by that I mean focus on who you are, not just what you do. It's not just about a role. It's not just about a task. It's about who God has called you to be. And listen, also maximize the unique gifts that you both bring to the table. This is one beauty. This is one beautiful thing about marriage is you have two people who are uniquely gifted by God bringing those gifts together. For example, you know, she may be better at administration and finances than you are. And so what do you do? You recognize that gift. You recognize how uniquely your spouse has been shaped and you leverage those gifts so that God can be glorified in your marriage. And remember also, complimenting, complimenting each other is a two-way street. So it's it's not just about, hey, what do you bring to the table? Hey, how are you complimenting me? Hey, what have you done for me lately? It is a matter of championing one another, right? It is a matter of championing one another. Uh, seven, align your finances to biblical values. Align your finances to biblical values. They say that finances are uh, in the top three of reasons why there's conflict in marriage. Uh, this has traditionally not been an issue for Rachel and myself because we haven't had any money. So, you know, when you don't have any money, it's like, hey, don't get me wrong, we're well taken care of here, but for a long, long period of our life, it was literally, God give us this day our daily bread. But I thought this stat was interesting. Couples are 10 times more likely to break up if they think their partner is bad with their finances. And so what do you do? Hey, listen, take the time, open up the Bible and discover how it is that God wants you 
to use your resources for his glory. Have you done that? If there's conflict, probably what you've not done is aligned yourself to biblical values. The final thing is this, foster intimacy. Foster intimacy. You know, in the digital world, I think it's easy for us to, you know, think that we've done what we've needed to do because we've sent a text, you know, like, like, hey, when's the last time you told your spouse that you loved her? Well, pastor, I, you know, sent her a text last week. Isn't that enough? Uh, no, it's not enough. All right, in this digital world, sometimes we think that, that you know, we're fostering some sense of intimacy because we've sent a text or we've written an email. And I'm not saying that that's bad, but you need, and I need to remember that that physical aspect of the relationship needs to be fostered. It needs to be invested in. From a scientific point of view, doctors say that oxytocin is released in times of physical intimacy. When I'm talking about intimacy, I'm not just talking about the sexual relationship. I'm talking about hugging each other and holding each other and holding each other's hands. You're like, well, I'm not really, you know, a sensitive guy like that. We'll grow up, okay, in this because it'll bless you and it'll bless your spouse. When that oxytocin is released, a person becomes more generous, more empathetic, more nurturing, more collaborative, and more grateful, all right? So if you've not been generous, empathetic, nurturing, collaborative, or grateful, I want to encourage you, foster intimacy in your marriage. Why is that important? Well, psychologists also say that gratitude is the glue that holds marriage together. Gratitude, in other words, listen, we're thankful, right? Are you thankful for your spouse? This is a setup, by the way. Don't make me disappointed. <laughs> Are you thankful for your spouse? Now, I don't know about you, maybe you see yourself as, as you know, the one who is the blessing, you know? Like, like, Pastor, you don't know how blessed she is to have me. Like, like my wife, my wife married up when she got me. I mean, she got the deal. She's all right, don't get me wrong, Pastor, but... But man, you know, she's so much better off. I want to remind you today that if you're married, neither of you deserve each other, right? You're both a gift of grace from the Lord. Be thankful today. Can you say that? Can you turn to your spouse and say, I thank God for you? Do that right now. I thank God for you, babe. All right. Good. <laughs> single guy initiating the clapping across <laughs> I'm just saying let's pray Father thank you so much thank you God for these points and I pray that you would help us help us God to, um, to do the work that you've set before us today as our eyes are closed as our heads are bowed just want to ask you a couple of questions today the first one is this do you have a relationship with God now, your view of God may be all law-based. You think about a series of do's and don'ts. You think about a God who is just ready to strike you with lightning if you step out of line, if you go out of bounds. And I want to tell you that is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a God of love, self-giving love, sacrificial love. God loved you so much. He is a just God, don't get me wrong, but he loves you, and his love for you satisfied his justice because the Father sent the Son to die on the cross for your sins, and Jesus, when he died on the cross, he paid the penalty, he paid the price, he fulfilled the justice of God for sins that we have committed so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have relationship with God so that our lives could be restored and renewed, so that God could pull us up out of a pit, and set us on solid rock, solid foundation, and make us his son, make us his daughter. Today, maybe that's the relationship in your life that you need mended. You need to put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Today, you need to leave this place right with God because you did not come in that way. This morning, if this is you, God is speaking to you, your heart right now. You know that you need Christ in your life. You need to be born again. You need real spiritual transformation. Right where you're at this morning, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. There's a step of faith for you to take to trust in Christ.
But I want you to raise your hand. I want to see who you are. I want to pray for you very simply today. God bless you. Thank you right here in the center on my left and right here. Awesome. Thank you. So good. So good. In the back here in the center, over here in the back on my right, right here. I see the two of your hands right here in the front. It's awesome. And God loves you all so much. I see your hands in the back. He's so good. Anybody else? Today, maybe as a, as a Christian, maybe as a single Christian, maybe you're married today, but um, in either case, you know that things have gotten off track. Listen, they're off track. And you know that. And you need to get back on track with the Lord. He loves you. You know, even in our prodigal condition, He never stops loving us. But, but there are moments in our life where we need to return to Him. And so today, as a Christian, if you just, you need that moment, that point in time where you come back to the Lord to get things right with Him. Don't let, don't let it go on for another day the way that it is. Make the decision today. If this is you, would you raise your hand? God knows what you're dealing with. God bless you. Thank you. I see your hand over here on my right. You're in the center. Awesome. I see your hands. I see your hand over here on my left. Thank you. So good. He can heal you today. He can strengthen you today. He can turn around in a day what you can't turn around in a lifetime. He is the miracle-working God. Stop relying on your own strength and start trusting in His. If your marriage is a mess, you can bring it to Him. How many marriages go unfixed because couples will not bring their marriage to God in prayer? Anybody else? Let me see your hand. All right, Father, we love you, God. Thank you for each of these today as you're speaking. God, we pray that you would stir their hearts, that they would step into the new thing that you have for them in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. Today, if you raise your hands, I wanna lead you in a prayer. Listen, God wants a personal relationship with you, not through a pastor, not through a church. The church is not a mediator between you and God. Jesus is. And so today you need to pray. You need to bring your heart just as you are. Maybe for the very first time, maybe today as a Christian, you know, you're getting back on track with the Lord. You need to pray. You need to come to him. And so today as Pastor Tony and the team uh, lead us in a song of worship, I'm gonna invite you to come down. I wanna lead you in a very simple prayer. Right now, if you raise your hand, come on down to the front, stand next to one of our follow-up leaders and uh, just wait here for a minute. I will lead you in prayer. Make your way down this morning. God is going to hear you. He's a faithful God. You can anticipate today that he's going to answer this prayer, that he's going to be working in your life, that God is going to do great things. And so I want to encourage you to uh, pray this prayer out loud after me. 
God, today, thank you for speaking to me. Today I have heard and I'm choosing to follow. I'm trusting you, trusting in Christ and receiving healing and hope and joy and your spirit and the new beginning that you want to do in my life. Today I give you my whole life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Praise God.